Get lit. Good morning, good evening, and everything in between. Welcome to episode four of Get Lit Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Spars, and I'm here with my co-host... John Stricker. He's been upgraded because he gave me cookies. And we have a special guest this week. Uh, I would love to introduce Miss Katie Saul, who's here, um, a colleague who also teaches English here. Um, and she's come in to talk about our guest this week, Emily Dickinson. Uh, so Katie, can you give us a fun fact about yourself so the public can get to know who you are? Yeah, I was a figure skater for 11 years on a synchronized team. And pretty random, but we did some crazy stuff on Blades. I'm impressed. She's more talented than both of us put together, which is why I have her on the show today. (laughs) Um, So as I mentioned before, and for those of you who are new listeners, which is probably like three more of my family members this week, if we're being honest, thanks again, Mom, for the shout out on Facebook. Um, We're going to be discussing Emily Dickinson, and Get Lit is a podcast that explores the histories behind some of America's most famous literary works. We've really stuck with American authors because um, that's where we are, and that's what I know the most about. (laughs) for being, again, honest. Um, So this week we're actually going to do a poet and we're going to do our first female author. I think it's important to strike that balance. Um, So in the future, look forward to more um, authors of color, authors from different backgrounds um, as we make our canon as inclusive as possible. Um, So let's get lit. Let's get get into Emily Dickinson right now. Um, What do you guys know about Emily Dickinson? Katie is obviously our specialist, so she'll come in with her favorite (laughs) stories in the future. But, John, do you know anything about her? Yes. Would you care to elaborate? No. (laughs) (laughs) I've read one or two of her poems way back in high school and have Mm -hmm. not looked at it since. I know that there's some gothic elements involved. Is that right? No. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> Boo. Boo. All right. Well, she did write poetry, so you know enough. Great, let's go ahead and get started. So, Emily Elizabeth Dickinson is born December 10th, 1830 in Amherst, Massachusetts. You can still go to her house today. Um, I was up in Amherst at one point in time, but I didn't get a chance to go to her house. I saw Susan Glass-Bell's house instead, which she'll be on another episode because she's awesome. Um, But Emily is born the middle child, first mistake, of Emily um, Norcross Dickinson and Edward Dickinson. Uh, She has an older brother, his name is Austin, and a younger sister, um, whose name is Lavinia. (laughs) So, um, she grows up normally for the time, but is highly, highly educated. She gets a ton of education. um, And they allow that? Yes. For a girl at the time, actually, so she was educated more than most girls, um, but not to, like, an offensive degree. Oh. You know, she wasn't, like, offensively educated. She was, like, very educated. But, yeah, who wants to marry a smart woman? I mean... Everyone. Okay. (laughs) Except not at this time. But nowadays, find you you a girl who can do both. Um, Emily could. So she um, was very social. She loved reading. She was very active in her church. Um, She learned to sing, she played piano, she loved taking walks and being in nature, she wrote lots of letters. 
Um, and she did have quite a number of very close friends throughout her life. Um, we'll let Katie kind of get us into some of her more exciting friendships. Um, but she had lots of different male and female friends um, throughout her life. Most notably that we'll be talking about is one Susan Gilbert, um, who becomes her sister-in-law. <laughs> An unfortunate turn of events. Oh. Um, don't worry, we'll get there. Foreshadowing. <laughs> For, it's pretty it's blatant. Gotta foreshadow the not, juicy stuff. I'm just... I blatantly said it. <laughs> I, okay. <laughs> so, um, unfortunately, um, Dickinson, although she had like a pretty normal upbringing, especially compared to some of the other authors that we've talked about on this podcast, um, she did have some friends and relatives pass away, um, most notably her young cousin, Sophia Holland. Um, so that had an impact on her hmm. um, from an early age was the death of this young cousin. Um, so she started writing poetry as a teenager, as most of us do, on the back of our notebooks. No. That or like no, there's just no. I don't think most of us do. I did. Okay, maybe most girls did then. So poetry is just for girls. <laughs> I mean, no, but <laughs> I mean, John, you're I'm outnumbered just, this time. I am two to one. This is <laughs> this is aggressive. Um, no, I'm just saying that it's. I don't know. What I, did you write? I didn't. You couldn't? No, you'd watch TV and play video games. Oh, see, video games, yeah. No. That's a boy thing. It's yeah. a boy thing. Only boys. Right. <laughs> Girls only write. Can we let's <laughs> reinforce some stereotypes today? Yeah. No. <laughs> like, it's our day job. Um, just kidding, it is, because we're teachers and you're an engineer. Just saying. Actually, <laughs> though. <laughs> we're living it. Anyway, so um, Emily did write poetry in her teen years, um, but really kind of during her 20s uh, is where she actually started to get published anonymously, at least. Um, she was very, very creative from about 1858 to 1865 uh, was really her most prolific period where she wasn't actually publishing, but she was writing, she was editing, she was rewriting, she was sending her stuff around to her family to read, kind of like me in this podcast. Um, and this also coincides with the Civil War, which I think is, is also sort of very interesting. Um, I, there's not a ton of information, at least, that we're sharing on this podcast with Emily's involvement slash relationship with the war, um, but I'm sure that might be kind of interesting to discover. Um, so uh, Dickinson grew up in Amherst. She lived in Amherst for most <laughs> all of her life. Um, her family had some financial troubles and actually lost their original homestead um, when Emily was quite young, but in her teen years, they actually wound up buying back the property oh, nice. that they had lost, and she moved back into it. Um, and it was during this time that she gets very close with this woman named Susan, who again uh, becomes her sister-in-law. Um, but after that, she uh, took advantage of living in Amherst. She was able to have a conservatory in her homestead. She loved gardening. And when they repurchased the homestead as a family, she was able to have a conservatory, which meant she could grow flowers all year, not just in spring. Isn't oh, that yeah, that's you. a little romantic. I love that. I want one. Um, so she could raise these plants um, and really engage in that hobby. She also had her own bedroom. Um, and it's really her bedroom where I think people, well, <laughs> um, I mean, obviously you sleep there, but Emily wrote her letters and her poetry a lot quite in her bedroom. Hmm. So to have her own space, I think, was really important to her as an author, um, but also as a human. So by the time she's 35, she's written more than 1,100 lyric 
poems and oh poems gosh. about everything. So again, highly, highly prolific at a very young age. Um, and 250 of those poems go to another very specific individual. We'll get into that again later in the podcast. Um, but very few of her poems were actually published throughout her life. Most of them that were published were published in newspapers and that sort of thing, um, but were printed anonymously um, and often published without her consent. So a lot of her work that we know of today is published after she dies. <laughs> um, Wait, so, mm -hmm. published without her consent? Yep. That seems like a big invasion of her privacy. Oh, yeah. Who would put these, these poems out? Uh, the newspaper. Right, or people that thought she should be published, but... Didn't, you know, they just like they thought it. she... Did, yeah, <laughs> she deserves the credit, but she didn't want... It's a huge debate. Huh. Mm -hmm. I, I it's would... kind of like today, where, like, yeah. data companies take our information right. and sell it because they want us to get credit. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> That's not why they do that. Yeah, this, these are not... These are not parallels. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So Emily is writing, 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 writing. Um, after about this time, she winds up with this sort of very painful eye condition um, and undergoes care for about eight months during this time. Um, and as a result of this, that's kind of why people think she was a homebody. It was after this surgery, after these treatments and procedures, she spends most of the rest of her life in Amherst. And so I think people really consider that, you know, the reason why she winds up being a recluse in, in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, so she does, she lives with her sister, she lives with her parents, and she writes. Um, she does, however, entertain lots of famous visitors um, or well-known people who work with her and do readings with her and help her edit her stuff and that she has relationships with. So again, kind of acknowledging that Emily really was a social person instead of like this hermit that she tends to be painted as. Um, she does entertain lots of different guests. Uh, she has this sort of allegedly romantic twist with one of her father's friends. Um, we'll get into that again, mm. kind of down the line, but that's towards the end of her life. Um, and they never get married. They consider it doesn't happen. That's fine. Um, unfortunately she then dies oh. <laughs> at age 55. Um, however, prior to that, um, her father dies in 1878. Her mom has a stroke and dies in 1875. Her nephew, so her brother's son, dies at age 8 in 1883. This family friend that she has this thing with dies in 1884. Uh, another one of her friends dies in 1885. They're popping so, off like flies. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh, it's full circle. That's very funny. What? Just... One of my favorite pieces by Emily Dickinson is I Heard a Fly Buzz When I Died. And everybody thinks it's about death, but really it's about the living, buzzing fly and her love of nature in my reading of it. I and totally you know, stumbled into that. I'm I, so no, sorry. No, oh, that's, oh, that's good. perfect. Okay, okay, okay we're ready then. Go read, go read it makes the fly sense, poem. Right? I'm you going need to. to. Go, it's everybody good. To. Okay. Um, so she becomes sick after everyone dies, unfortunately. Um, still continues writing right up until her death, uh, which was May 15th, 1886. And um, she's buried in the town cemetery up there today, and you can go mm -hmm. see it. 
So that's sort of a brief, very um, truncated version of Emily Dickinson's life. Again, a poet sort of shrouded in mystery, much like the other authors that we read. Um, but people, I think, tend to herald Emily Dickinson as this sort of empowering female hermit <laughs> type that wrote <laughs> poems, um, but really lived, I think, a much more complex and lively life than we typically give her credit for. I'll know all kind of history winds up being inherently reductive because you can't tell everyone's story about everything all the time. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge that Emily had a lot more out there than sometimes she gets credit for. And she had a conservatory. So, like, who's really the winner here? You're picking up on the important facts. I think so. Um, so, <laughs> thank you so much, Katie, for coming in um, to tell us some of your favorite stories about Emily. So, we're here. Um, would love to hear some of the things that you found most interesting because um, the reason that I brought you in is because of the classes that you took about Emily in college. Uh, so as our resident expert here, uh, we would love to hear some of your favorite stories and tales, please. Yes, thank tale. you for bringing me in. The reason I know so much about Emily is because my senior capstone course, the entire curriculum was Emily Dickinson. Write a research paper on whatever you want, but we're going to sit here and read Emily Dickinson the entire time, and she has to be in your paper. So... Like John, sort of, I heard of her, I read a few poems, didn't know Jack about her as a human being, but I did open my mind, I accepted all of her dashes, and <laughs> weird grammar choices, and I, I did find her to be an interesting person, at the least, which drew me into being open-minded about her life and the way she lived, and finding something I could take away from it. The first thing, her love life, you brought up Susan... And we Susan, Susan, we loved her. <laughs> so did she. <laughs> yes. It was probably the biggest, like, underrated love story of all time for the lesbian community, for even maybe, like, the bi-curious community. Nobody really knows Emily Dickinson's, like, sexuality. We could never know unless, I don't know, you got her to talk about it. Which time she... Presumably, right. She didn't with people. Um... She's been rumored to sleep with men, and particularly Susan as a female. Who knows? More females in her love life stories. I have no idea, but Susan Cal Susan needs to be talked about. Yeah. Her brother's wife. Okay? <gasps> They're living... Wait, wait, wait. Susan is her Susan brother's... Susan is her brother's wife. So They're Susan friends, Gilbert Huntington. Yeah. Friends, friends first. Think about, like, those movies you see. They're best friends. The friend leaves the friend for her hot brother. Sure, but she also sticks around to be He's more than beard. friends with, you know. Yeah. I see. Right. So that's where it gets so juicy. It gets so interesting. Um, it's been portrayed in Wild Nights with Emily, is it yeah, called? Yeah, new movie, 2018 yeah. with Molly Shannon. Yeah. Would so recommend, but I also haven't seen it. about, but <laughs> it's something that, you know, you have to be one certain type of person to pull it off I think to sleep with your brother's wife sneak around have this secret relationship write more letters to her than anybody else out of all of her friends you know that was her way of keeping her relationships going is writing these letters to her loved ones with poems and sweet stories and she wrote the most to Susan and it's sort of I don't know, telling to the type of person Emily was, but isn't credited for, like you said. Mm -hmm. So I just love the drama in that story. And it's all through Emily, who's like this conniving, like crazy sort of, 
I don't know, lustful person. And kind of, know? like, obsessive. Like, reading yes. parts of these letters, um, they're, like, kind of obsessive. And unfortunately, history has lost the correspondence, so we only have oh. Emily's letters to these other people, mm-hmm. um, but none of the ones that Susan wrote it's called to her. Sue. 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 <laughs> um, so we don't have <laughs> we don't have any of those letters. So um, our understanding of these relationships are kind of through her eyes. And if we're talking literary terms here, she's not the most reliable narrator. I mean, like none of us are. We obviously skew um, mm-hmm. our worlds towards our sides of the story. Uh, but yeah, she definitely uh, has this very sort of like aggressive, intense, lustful nature in her mm-hmm. letters. Um, and what about, can you tell us more about this old dude, her dad's the friend? The old dude, we again, another dramatic, lustful-filled story. After her dad passes, she ends up sort of getting very uncomfortably close to one of his closest friends. Um, you mentioned his name earlier, briefly, but a Judge Otis, Philip Lord, she... Great dog name. Great, yeah, Wait, great. There's four Judge dog Otis names there. I'm gonna Philip Lord. Philip's Lord. Philip's Lord. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Presumably, I don't know what you would call him on the street if you saw him, but that yeah, right. You know, like a firsty lasty. Judge Lord. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Also, Otis. You need Phillips that. And Lord. Phillips. Okay. I'm yeah. naming my dog that. <laughs> when when you get one. When I get one. <laughs> I'm that's calling a, my brother, name. and he's gonna change his dog's name. <laughs> Let's change Duke to Lord. I like it. That's his name, right? And it's a, yeah. Okay. Duke. Yeah. Perfect. So who is that? One of her dad's closest friends. He, I believe, is 18 years older than her. Nice. So whenever they start hooking up, mm. as the kids say, getting together. Um, it's they're just, talking. It's, they're just talking. They're just talking. They're just IMing. No one IMs. Right. I know. I get it. Right? Snap. <laughs> Did you get her Snapchat? He was probably getting a lot of Snapchats from her. There's a oh famous picture, like, known that's talked about, about them of her sitting on his lap. It's an oh. image that many people, like, recreate through remembering Emily and him. Um, so sitting on his lap, stuff like that. They did conspire getting married in letters again. They oh. thought about it. But again, he was an old dude who also ended up dying. So just sad. one of those relationships she had with a male. Right, which probably did make her sad. Yes. It's well, I mean, I'm, I don't know, like, a broken off, passionate affair. Like, how did it end with Sue and then she moved on? Do we know? I don't, I don't know. They I'm had certain, schism right. issues over the kids. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, Susan and Austin had three kids together. And... Um, Emily, I think, was quite close to them, which is great, but I think that kind of relationship drove a wedge. The focus kind of became on the kids and, like, the idea of being a mother for Susan than um, companionship with Emily. So Mm. I think it was the the child nature of of things, the children that came a part of their their relationship together that kind of ended the romantic, tristy part of their relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it wasn't one-sided. It was sort of a gradual shift Mm. in the dynamic? Hopefully. I don't know. Yeah, no, he was married as well, though. I believe his wife's Mm -hmm. name was Elizabeth. Which, I don't know. Sounds about right for the time. Wait, Judge was married? Yeah. At the same time, he was like, oh, hold on. This changes things. They thought about getting married even though he was married already. Yeah, but she was dead. 
everybody dies. Oh. Literally everyone yeah. dies. Oh. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, I did pull an excerpt, and I do, I mm-hmm. think it's worth reading, is some of these, um, uh, I guess, more salacious excerpts mm-hmm. from Emily's letters. Um, so this is one that she sends to Susan. Do I repine? Is it all murmuring? Or am I sad and lone and cannot, cannot help it? Sometimes when I do feel so, I think I may be wrong and that God will punish me by taking you away. For he is very kind to let me write to you and to give me your sweet letters, but my heart wants more. Oh my. Yeah. More letters, um, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, you know, so she also writes things like, Will you be kind to me, Susie? I am naughty and cross this morning, and no one loves me here, nor would you love me. If you should see me frown and how loud the door bangs whenever I go through. Yet it isn't anger. I don't believe it is. For when nobody sees, I brush away big tears with the corner of my apron and go on working. Bitter tears, Susie. So hot that they burn my cheeks and almost scorch my eyeballs. But you have wept much and you know that they are less of anger than sorrow. So like these love letters, right? If Susan isn't going to be able to be here, how do we, how do we get there? We write. It's yeah. it's like such a, uh, a, a like emotionally charged emotionally charged letter. Oh my! Her tears are hot, and she is naughty. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got from that. Yeah. I mean, come on. Okay, I mean, like that's something you could pull. I would. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I think it's reaching, but I'm all for it. Yeah. yeah. It's all there. It's called, write an AP paper about that. (laughs) Need a prompt? Here we go. Interpret. Interpret these letters. Um, Right. So, again, Emily Dickinson, a very charged, storied character in literary history, um, but one with, I think, a a lot to teach us, like most of these authors. Um, so we've got lots of social media that you could follow us on now. And by a lot, I mean two, um, (laughs) Twitter and Instagram, um, and that sort of thing. So please feel free to spread the word about Get Lit. Um, again, not that my family is inadequate, but they, they put the team on their back. So (laughs) if you support this podcast, please, uh, feel free to share it and like us and follow us in any way, shape or form that you're interested in. Um, we've got a bunch of really cool episodes coming up that I'm excited to bring on more special guests, um, and that kind of thing. But any, any last sign offs, any last things from you guys? One last Emily fact that you like. One last one? Yeah, one last one. Oh, there's, this is insane. Um, you just asked her to pick her favorite child. Well, pick your favorite Emily Dickinson well, Okay, fact. I'm a middle child as well, and just the fact that she not only lives up to the middle child standard, <laughs> but like she just makes me proud to be a middle. You know, she was mm-hmm. rebellious. She did things that your mom tells you you probably shouldn't do. And she just didn't, she didn't care. She didn't care. She didn't care. But she put it in her writing. What people thought. Right, right, exactly. And I love that. We should all try to live like Emily Dickinson. Mm -hmm. That's not per se a fact, but it's like a standard to live by. Live by Emily's standard. Amazing. So on that note, thanks for keeping it lit, and we'll see you next week.